Medic 61, District 6, stage first shooting. Emmer Wayne, near Lake Road, Charles, 478 Tango. 378, Tango 1654. District 87 is around. District 87 around. Welcome to Inside EMS. Now here are your hosts, Chris Ceballero and Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. Here we go with another episode of Inside EMS, the only podcast that takes you inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. I want to thank you for joining us. And, you know, for everybody out there, Man, it's getting to be hot. Summertime is just around the corner. June 21st is going to be the longest day of the year, and uh, hopefully we're going to have a nice, enjoyable summer. Remember now, as we start to develop those summer months, uh, those 100 days of summer in between Memorial Day and Labor Day, those are the times a lot of people get hurt. So you guys keep your head on a swivel, as we always say here inside EMS, and uh, make sure you deliver the highest quality of patient care possible. But uh, the guy who always delivers the highest quality of patient care is our good friend, <laughs> Uncle Kelly Grayson. Uncle Kelly, how are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm, I'm winding up the uh, the Kelly Grayson World Tour. <laughs> uh, today I'm in, in Lafayette at our state CMS conference. Just got through giving, giving a lecture uh, here on the first day of the conference and a couple more tomorrow. So It's, okay. been, uh, it's been hectic the last few weeks, man, going from, from California to Connecticut to here and working, working in between. That's it's nice to actually sit down at the computer and just chat with you, Chris. Well, you know, that does make me warm and fuzzy inside, either either that or uh, it's the Crown Royal I was drinking. But, yeah, uh, as, as opposed to the warm and fuzzy outside. That's right. That's, <laughs> that would be my mustache. But, uh, yeah. So I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas, so I'm on the world tour. I'm helping the folks in here uh, down here in Arkansas get set up for community oh. paramedicine. So, which is really interesting. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, really excited about that. I thought you were going to have me come into this conference in Lafayette. You asked me to come down, teach some leadership uh, stuff, and, and now look where we are. I'm in Little Rock, I, you're in Lafayette, and I feel like, I, I feel man, shunned. I, I feel shunned. Uh, I think somebody's stealing your stick, man. Uh, they're they're teaching a people's uh, course here at the, uh, oh, at the conference. Awesome. That's great. So, so at least, uh, it, you know, that's one of your babies. You... you uh, some of probably some of the people you trained in other courses and you're trained the trainer stuff are, are bringing it out to the masses now. So yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Let's take a few minutes. I mean, just to talk about that people course and, and since you brought it up, cause I am a great fan of it and I, I do have the honor of sitting on the, uh, people committee for NEMT. And this is a course, Kelly, I don't know if you know a lot about it, but you know, as we start now to make the transformation into community paramedicine, there mm-hmm. are a lot of skills that, the, the, the EMTs and paramedics that aren't really taught in school, we're not taught the customer service end. We're not taught the mm-hmm. conflict resolution end. We're not taught, you know, the, the servant leadership end of things. And and the people course really develops those, those soft skills that we're going to now need exactly. as we start to move into the future uh, of whatever this mobile integrated healthcare community paramedicine model is going to look like. And, and this is a 16-hour course. And in this yeah. 16-hour course, there's probably 15 slides. This is a, a true facilitated learning course to where, you know, you and I, uh, being seasoned instructors, you always hear minimize the war stories, minimize the war stories. But, you know, this is a course where we want to hear those experiences. We want everybody to hear those experiences, and we want to now mash them together into what that means into the bigger picture of conflict resolution, servant leadership, and so on and so forth. And, yeah. and I'll talk to the folks that are out there. If you want a people course brought to your state, 
get in touch with the folks at NAEMT. There are monies that's put aside for developing new course sites, and uh, we'll be happy to bring you a course. So I'm excited to hear that it's there, Kelly. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be um, – I'm, I'm looking forward to taking it myself. I, I wasn't able to get into this one. Apparently, it's all full up, but uh, which is a good thing. But um, that is that, that's something that's sadly lacking in initial EMS education, and not just for, for field providers, but for supervisors, uh, first-line supervisors as well, is those soft people skills, you know, conflict resolution you mentioned, and, and just the – communication skills that we we often lack that those kind of things are not taught in paramedic school and all too often they're not very valued in our in our education so stuff we have to pick up ad hoc and and on our own and we all know people that that are, are good with uh are innately good at conflict resolution and customer service and and they have the right sort of mindset uh but it's nice to see that someone's actually look uh you know, turning an eye toward actually teaching it and developing that skill set instead of just trying to uh, hire people that already have it. Right. Um, and, and I, th I think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the challenges is the fact that we really have to look at how, and this is, you know, you and I have said before, Kip T. Sort's course, you know, the Invading Violent Encounters should be part of initial training. The People course is another course that should be part of initial training. And, you know, we talked about it before, you yeah. know, uh, you know, what would this, what's this new curriculum supposed to look like? But there's a lot of things that have developed mm -hmm. secondarily uh, that we truly need. And uh, this is one of those things. So, man, I'm glad you brought it up. And, and maybe what we should do, uh, we'll dedicate a show to yeah. uh, getting some folks on from, you know, the people committee and talk a little bit about it. Because I got to tell you, I mean, I thoroughly enjoy it. You know, it's not yeah. your average course, because, you know, it's not death by PowerPoint. There's, there's, uh, you know, it's facilitated learning. So there's uh, the great participation of the students. And, and, you know, it really kind of makes you think about those things that everybody says aha to, but nobody really does anything about. Yeah. It's, it's time we, uh, we, we pay more than lip service to those things. And, and, and uh, teaching them is the first step, I think. Yep. So, well, let's yep. go ahead. And let's go with some news. Hit it. Let's go. All right, I want to I want to take a moment to give a shout out to Officer Andy Black of the Oberlin Park, Kansas Police Department. You know, in 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 social media, we're seeing all these these uh, stories about cops behaving badly, and and the, the cops in uh, in McKinney, Texas, uh, uh, the one that was just resigned over several people going thought he went overboard with dealing with some teenagers at a pool party and there was the the uh, incident in carolina where the cop shot the fleeing suspect and then uh perhaps even planted uh planted his taser next to him to cover up the the wrongdoing but uh those are anomalies there's a picture here uh on ems1 there you click the link uh um andy black was uh off duty at the oak park mall uh and he assisted on a medical emergency call of a female having seizures, and uh, while the medics were attending the baby's mother, uh, here's a picture of Andy uh, feeding this little baby. Um, and, and that just, I, I wanted to highlight that and, and shine a spotlight on that because those are the cops I know. That's the kind of public safety uh, and public servants that I'm used to working with, and I think that's the vast majority of police officers out there are, are guys just like Andy Black that just want to do some good, um, and uh, when when we see um, good good deeds like that, and and 
public service like that, then, then we ought to shine a spotlight on it every bit as seriously as we do when, when we spot misbehavior. So good on you, Officer Black. There are a lot of things that people are pointing a finger at the, you know, the police and, um, you know, you're starting to see that the incident in McKinney and, you know, you look at what transpires and, you know, these guys got a tough job, you know, we're, they've got to deal with the attitude yeah. and they got to deal with the, the stupidity and what the heck is he well, thinking? And then you go back and, it, and then you go back and you look at it and you can see the kid coming up to him and he's reaching in his waist oh, yeah. behind his pants. And, oh, and, yeah. You know, he, it, there's one kid looked like he was about to jump it. And, and what he did backed off when the officer pulled his gun. So, uh, you know, you, we can judge that not having law enforcement experience and training. Um, but there was an overt threat there. Um, how it played out on television and, and in the court of public opinion is another story. But, uh, um, yeah, but you know, the point that, I was going to bring the point I was going to bring up to that, Kelly, was the fact that, you know, this is making their jobs a lot harder. You know, they, yeah. these guys are going to get hurt because they're not going to be able to take the steps that they're going to need to take. Yeah. And I know that's not what we're talking about. But anyway, you know, I want to go ahead and say that there are a lot of great things. You know, there's another news story that's put out on the 10th of June where a cop and a former medic watches a boy he delivered graduate high school as the valedictorian. Oh. You know, I mean, when do you hear things like that? How cool is that, that this guy delivers this kid and he's at his graduation and watches him gives the valedictorian speech. I mean, that's just incredible. I think I think those are everyday, ordinary acts of of uh, mercy and and you know I, I won't use the word heroism, but you can call them quiet heroes if you want. That those kind of things are just as natural as breathing to them, and they they happen so commonly. Um, but they don't get enough notice, and I think they should. Um, so, so when we see those see those things uh, among our colleagues and, and our colleagues in public safety, um, we intend to shine a light on those as well and give out attaboys because um, it deserves to be recognized. So. Yeah, let me go ahead and talk about my story. What you got? And this one's kind of crazy. It comes out of Mountain View, California. Google gets patented for fleet of ambulance drones. The proposal would use drones to bring supplies to people in medical emergencies. Drones would be designed for specific situations like choking or cardiac arrest. You know, so first off, I'm thinking, who, who's going to be in charge of this? Is this going to be part of a new dispatch thing where we're going to now send drones and have to fly these drones around? But Google wants to create a fleet of ambulance drones that could be used to reach humans stranded in remote locations during medical emergencies by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, Basically, the patent officially titled Providing Emergency Medical Services Using Unmanned Aerial Vehicles. And I, and I got to say, man, I mean, is this crazy? Is this far-fetched? Is this something that's going to work? You know, we're in an interesting time, Kelly Grayson, and I really don't know where to go with something like this. But uh, I'd be interested to know your mm -hmm. thoughts. Well, I, I, for one, would would like to be the first to welcome our new robot overlords. And, and say, welcome, Skynet. It's a brave new world out there. <laughs> Just the days of Terminator. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I want to, uh, when Skynet takes over, I want to uh, to be on the protected roles uh, and be one of those humans they choose to spare. Um, How does this work with your world you know, it's a flying monkey thing? Well, yeah, but see, I'm going to work from within uh, and, and hopefully my, uh, 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 my, 
my legions of flying monkeys will will beat Skynet to the punch uh, in in my quest for world domination. But um, I'm I'm hedging my bets. You know, if the robots take over, I, I, I don't want them on the bad on my I don't want to be on their bad side. So um, it's it's just amazing. You know, I, I've I've had the the perspective of 22 almost 23 years in EMS, um, and things that I never thought would come to pass are. Uh, they're so they were so far over the horizon that you you never even contemplated the possibility. Um, you know, you could say, well, one day, you know, that we might have uh, telemedicine hookups and ambulances, and we'll have digital radio systems where there won't be any dead spots, and and you'll be able to contact people by phone or radio wherever you are, no matter how how remote. And and we thought that was big stuff. You know, did you ever envision a time when there would actually be remote operated drones flying an AED to someone's side um, but that's where we are and and it's uh, I think it's a uh, it's a it's a uh, interesting future we have ahead of us and and I'm looking forward to see uh, what EMS transforms into uh, before I retire I think it's gonna be awesome so this may be one of those things where we could just sit at home now and kind of do our business uh, via telemedicine via drone and uh, you know, maybe we don't even have to leave the station anymore. I mean, uh, we, yeah, just, we could be like we could be like the radiologist of uh, of EMS, you know, just sitting uh, that's right, sitting our uh, our beanbag chair with our Chico's and, and look at a video screen and just you know scroll through, if type the, a few commands. If the University of Iowa can do surgery on the International Space Station, we should be able to handle somebody in cardiac arrest sitting in the chair in the station. Yeah. You can also say, um, if the University of Iowa could do robotic surgery on the International Space Station, um, you'd think that that uh, an EMT in, in Podunk, uh, Podunk, Louisiana, could, could figure out how to apply oxygen correctly without looking like an oxymoron. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a little bit far-fetched, but... Uh, you know, oh, I mean, how many times you're running to those guys that, that that get all tangled up in a nasal canyon when they try to put it on? They look like a uh, um, a monkey fornicating with a football. That's just, right. Thirteen uh, monkeys. Thirteen monkeys. Thirteen monkeys. That's right. So let me uh, you, let me let me go ahead and uh, let's switch gears a little bit because you know we've already got halfway through our time and uh, I yeah. really want to get to our clinical issue because I'm really excited about it and you and I have talked about it before about how. Uh, challenging it is when people are giving radio reports or giving handoffs at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And it seems that there's a lot of unnecessary information. It seems that there's not pertinent information given. You know, I think you and I have both heard radio reports that are, uh, you know, 30 minutes long and they're talking about the shoe size and the color underwear and, you know, what they had for dinner. And, and it, it just gets a little bit crazy. And we've all seen those nurses put the mm -hmm. imaginary gun to their head and pull the trigger when they're listening to a radio report. So we thought it would be fun here at Inside mm -hmm. EMS and to come up with a scenario. And, and Kelly and I have the same scenario. And, and we just want to talk about the, the, you know, the components of giving a good radio report. And then, you know, we're going to give the same, we're going to give a radio report to, uh, uh, on the same patient, just to kind of see the differences in them. But, you know, first off, Kelly, let me ask you, what do you think are the good components of giving a good radio report? Well, I think it needs to, uh, I think uh, a good radio report is a heads up. It doesn't, we, we put way too, the, the most common mistake is to put way too much information in them. What the hospital wants to know 
is what you're bringing them, how far out you are, what resources need to be in place upon your arrival. Okay, what do we need to have ready when you get here? So this is not a surprise to us. And that doesn't that doesn't take a whole lot of uh, of information to uh, you don't have to impart a great deal of information to get that message across. Um, I think the elements of a good radio report would be first and foremost uh, the type of patient and the ETA and your unit number, um, and anything clinically relevant that you think that the 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 uh, ER staff is going to need to know uh, and have in place upon arrival. If I'm bringing in a, a CHF or that I'm on CPAP, I'm going to tell them right off, look, you need to have respiratory down there and, and you need to have CPAP ready. Or in the same fashion, you call a STEMI alert. Uh, you, you want the team and the equipment ready to go. Uh, same fashion, you call a trauma alert. You just, they want to know what they need. Uh, they don't need the, the patient's life story, as you pointed out. Uh, just give them the bullet and uh, and make it short, sweet, to the point. If you're on the phone and you're still talking after 30 seconds, you've been talking too much. Yeah. So let me, let's me let give the scenario, and I'll give you the opportunity. You want to go first? Sure. All right, so let me just let the listeners know what we're talking about. We've arrived on scene of a 56-year-old female with a chief complaint of chest pain times three hours. She has a, uh, she's got hypertension, she's got high cholesterol, the medication she's on is Verapamil and Lipitor, she has no known drug allergies, last set of vital signs were 136 over 88, pulse is 96, respirations are 24. Uh, I'm not going to go ahead and outline treatment, because you and I may treat the patient differently. Okay. Um, but with that information, uh, go ahead and uh, call into the hospital and give your report. Okay. Uh, we typically call in on a recorded phone line. Uh, we don't do radio patches at, at Acadian. Uh, so I would pick up the cell phone, and I would start off with uh, whoever answers the phone. and say, hi, this is Kelly with Acadian 402. I am 15 minutes out with a stimulant 56-year-old female. Chief complaint of chest pain, 12 lead showed, uh, left anterior descending occlusion. She's got a SD elevation in her anterior at septal leads. Uh, vital signs, 136 over 88, pulse 96, respiration is 24. Got two lines in her, uh, nitro uh, and uh, fentanyl on board. She's had 324 of aspirin, and we will see you guys in about 12 to 15 minutes. And that's it. That's what I would do. That's pretty good. I mean, that was quick. That was to the point. I mean, in and out like a duck mating. I mean, that was, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I'm interested to know, <laughs> I'm interested to know, you kind of talked about, uh, uh, you know, what the monitor was showing. The, what is that giving them? What, what information do you think that's given them? Uh, is that kind of, instead of saying, semi alert, uh, are you just telling them what's on the monitor? Because I know a lot of places specifically want to hear the word STEMI alert. Um, is that how you do that down there, or is it? How do you figure that out? Well, well, that's how that's how I do it. That's that's pretty much follows the template, uh, the radio or the pre-arrival notification template that we use at Acadian. I, I vary from it a little bit, uh, but part of that is, is my own style and and my relationship with the local ERs. Uh, you know, as I said, I called in. Uh, you know, we're X amount of fifteen minutes out with a STEMI alert, um, and. In, in our system, or at least in the hospitals I transport to, we don't usually do automatic uh, um, automatic activation of the cath lab. Um, and I wish that I wish it were different, but some of our hospitals don't trust us to automatically activate the cath lab and go straight up there. Um, 
based on just us calling a STEMI alert. Sometimes they'll draw blood and sometime, uh, and, and do a follow-up 12 lead when we get to the hospital and then send us up to the cath lab. However, that, that all changes, and I'm sure you, were, you had experienced the same thing at, at uh, Christian uh, EMS, is that some medics get a, uh, are, are held to a little different standard, and, and, and their, their reports are given more credence than others. So when I say things like, I've got a STEMI alert, and this lady's got an LAD occlusion, she's got uh, ST elevation in, in v, V1 through V3, um, then uh, they listen to that and their ears perk up. So that actually saves me some time, and they're not going, to, well, you know, somebody's calling in a STEMI alert, we'll have to do a 12 lead here just to make sure. Um, when I say that kind of information, uh, they know it's me calling. Generally, that, that's going to speed me right on past the ER and up to the cath lab. If the patient pauses uh, in the ER, it's to get a, a wristband applied, and that's about it. Yeah, so, you, you, know, you bring up a good point. I want to ask you about it because I like how you do that, and I've never really done that. You know, I've always said, you know, uh, anterior lateral or septal or inferior MI. How I mean, it may be important for us now to start understanding that if we have a lateral MI, which coronary artery is being affected today? Mm-hmm. But does does that give wrong information? Is that automatically assuming that that's what's happening? Um, yeah. Well, it 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 presumes that the patient has has uh, conventional coronary artery anatomy. <laughs> you know, uh, and not everyone does. Um, but uh, I. <sighs> That sort of thing, communicating that sort of thing and, and, and having a comfort level with that, that type of terminology and making that, that sort of call um, is all about uh, communicating your comfort level as a provider. And, and when there's a nurse and a physician on the other end of the phone uh, who is judging you by what you tell them and, and how, uh, how um, accurate it was when you actually arrived, that makes a difference. You may not know that it makes a difference for that patient. But that sort of report and that sort of communication over time is what builds you trust uh, with with the people you're transporting to. And they know that when Chris or Kelly pick up the phone uh, and call, that, that they can pretty much bet on what Chris and Kelly tell them. Sure. So, um, and, and that's my reason for doing it. Uh, it sometimes it's it's more than, than what you want, uh, than what they may be looking for, but Generally, that's that's how it goes, and I, I tell people when I do these, when I do teach my students how to do a uh, a report, uh, I tell them that your pre-arrival notification is a courtesy, and it is the skeleton. Okay, you're being courteous to let the let the. There's no law that says we have to do it, although uh, and no no set rule, but it, it's expected. Um, but it's the skeleton, and you flesh it out uh, over the stretcher when you're transferring the patient from one bed to another. Um, all they need is a skeleton to let them know what resources and personnel they need ready. And you fill in the blanks, like the patient's meds and where your lines are and what size they are and, and how many doses of nitro and how much fentanyl they've had and what their response to those things was. Um, all that kind of stuff is you can, you can do face-to-face with the doctor and the nursing staff as you do the bedside report. Uh, just give them the bullet and let them know how far out the other way of saying it, the most detailed and intricate patient report in the world is absolutely wasted if you end it with the phrase, and we're at your door. <laughs> they would much rather you give them a very rough, very generic heads up 10 minutes out 
from grandpa's living room, then give them chapter and verse and say, and we'll see you in 15 seconds. Yeah. All right, let me give it a go. So what would you do? Yeah, let me see how it's going to work out. So uh, I've been out of practice for a while, so I'm going to have to remember it. Um, so Remember, white, white to right, red to bed, smoke over fire. That's right. All right, so I think I got it now. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, this is Chris at Medic One, presently en route to your location with a 56, 56-year-old female. She's complaining of chest pain times three hours, patients alert and oriented times four with vital signs 136 over 88, pulse is 96, respiration is 24, uh, have an IV in place, given her nitro and aspirin, haven't given any pain meds at this time. She has on a cardiac monitor which shows normal sinus rhythm, no ventricular atriectopy, 12 liters unremarkable. We'll be to your location in about 15 minutes. Would you be needing any other information or have any instructions? There you go. Uh, that that sounds sounds fine to me. The uh, and you put in something that I typically that I just left off uh, is do you have any other uh, you know questions, orders, or instructions? I I, I don't typically put that in there. Um, I do, however, when I'm speaking to a physician, ask those very things because uh, you know those are the people that those are the only people at the at the emergency departments that are empowered to to uh, give me medical control orders. So. Um, if they have any questions or, or orders, I'll ask those. But uh, the nurses just, um, they don't typically, you know, give orders. So yeah, uh, one, I just one, don't ask. Yeah, one of the things that I like to do that for, it really came out of, uh, I think, um, getting a lot of getting a lot of guff when you give a radio report. Yeah. So, you know, you get there and you're like, well, uh, why didn't you say this or why didn't you say that? The reason that I like to do that is because I put the ball back into their court. This is the information I gave you. Would you be needing any other information? Do you have any instructions? So, why didn't you do this? Well, if you thought I needed to do that, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me on the radio? You know what I'm saying? But it it puts the ball back. And you're right. I mean, they're not going to be able to give you instructions because you're not going to be able to accept their instructions if they do that. Because if they're giving you instructions, you're going to say, who's the doctor who's giving those instructions? And yeah. uh, but still, it, the end result is they can't come back to say you didn't say or you didn't ask because at the end we did. Yeah, well, and and therein lies the beauty of, of having everything on a recorded line. Um, uh, we we run into those, and our supervisors pull the tapes and say, uh, you know, they told you this, and apparently you, it didn't register with you, or uh, you said you asked this, but there's uh, you're not you're on tape, and you never asked that question. Um, so so those kind of things, uh, the recorded line is, is a good backstop. One of the you provided a little more information than I typically do because my um, my philosophy on it is is that I'm when I'm giving a, a pre-arrival notification. I, I differentiate the two. There's my handoff report, which I do at bedside, and there's my pre-arrival notification, which is just heads up, here we come with this. Um, in my pre-arrival notification, I only report negative findings, okay? If I say the patient's coming in with, um, you know, if I'm bringing in a patient with chest pain, but there was something rel- clinically re- relevant that I was unable to determine or evaluate uh, that may make a difference in the patient's treatment, I'll give that information up front uh, because that's part of the picture they still need to get. So if I say something like, you know, um, you know, if, if it's uh, ambiguous, you know, the patient's complaining of pleuritic chest pain, yet they have an extensive, or they're complaining of weakness and the 12 lead is, is, uh, 
is um, inconclusive. Yet they have an extensive cardiac history and a list of risk factors a mile long. I may paint a, a little deeper picture, a little more intricate picture there. Um, especially if my if my spider sense is tingling, uh, I may give them more information. But otherwise, if I don't say it, you can pretty much uh, assume that that the the all the pertinent positives are there, um, and that uh, that's what you're going to find. You know, when you ask those questions in the ER, um, yeah, I, mean, I just. Uh, you know, I think in the ER, it's a whole other story. And, mm-hmm. You know, maybe next week we do a, a, the handoff and because that's going to be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Usually one of the things that I'll do, you know, is I'll talk about I'm, – I'm the guy who's given the assessment, man. I'm going to talk to you about lung sounds. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, what the heart sounds are. And I'm a paramedic that listens to heart tones. And, and that was a lot of years of getting to that point of doing yeah. that. But if you have a good understanding, when you put your stethoscope on somebody's heart and you listen to those opening and closing of the valves, you can hear things as you start to pick them up that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're going to make a good uh, – you're able to give some good diagnosis. You know, so but, – but I think that really, you know, for those that are listening out there, if you're giving a longer radio report than, than what Kelly and I have just did – Listen to the podcast and go back and, and kind of write down the highlights of what it is. I mean, again, if you're on the radio longer than 30 seconds, you're, you're on the radio way too long or the phone, whatever yeah. you're using. And if they need more information, always end it by saying, would you be needing any other information or have any instructions? And again, yeah. I put the ball back in their court. But, you know, I think that you and I were kind of on the same page when it came down yeah. to uh, getting our reports done. Yeah, well, you know, we, we've all been... I'm, I'm sure you've been in the ER and you've heard some some of your colleagues, like I've heard some of my colleagues, call in on the radio or call in on the phone. You can only hear half the conversation, but you know which phone rang. So it's an ambulance report coming in and the nurse is rolling her eyes and making speed up motions and, and yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada uh, motions and, and just um, sounding exasperated while she's listening. Uh, and it goes on and on forever. And finally, they said, yeah, room assignment on arrival. And when they hang up the phone, you can tell them what medic was calling. Right. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm not going to mention any names. But I see the reaction from the nurses. I can tell them what medic well, I know what medic was calling. And I also know that they're not going to place any faith whatsoever in what that medic told them uh, when, the, when they arrive. Uh, they're going to double-check everything. And Even though, exactly you know... That's exactly what I was just going to say yeah. is not only are you diminishing your own credibility with that, mm-hmm. with that nursing staff, because you know they're going to talk to the doctors as well about you, yeah. but secondarily, I think you're also putting a little bit of hurt onto the other paramedics that are coming behind yeah. you. Diminishing paramedic credibility in general. I've got um, to work harder now to prove my knowledge and to prove my ability to practice medicine because they're automatically going to assume... That I'm like that way, exactly. You know, and and that's if there's if there's any piece of advice I would give to new EMTs and new medics who are unused to communicating uh, in communicating these handoff reports and these these pre arrival notifications. There's two things: keep it short and simple. Um, Lead off with your chief complaint and your ETA, and write it down. Write it down. Have a format. Don't. One of the things that starts the nurse or the doctor on the other end of the phone rolling their eyes and making speeded up motions is when you're struggling to to uh, relate 
clinical information. His blood pressure's um, uh, hold on standby, um, and yeah, and his chest was was uh, hurting, and he rated it a, a I think it was a, a eight out of ten, and and you're groaning on and on like that. One of the things I did as a young medic was I used to take a piece of three inch tape. And I would tape it to the the front of my uniform pants on, on my right thigh. And as I would jot, as I would get clinically relevant information, history, and, and treatment information, I would just jot it down as I as I went along. Uh, and and if it was long, you know, uh, if it was more stuff than I could put on the back of my glove, I would write it on that three inch tape. Um, and then when I'm sitting there calling a report, all I have to do is look down at my leg and read it to them. And, it, and it's in a fairly logical uh, assessment uh, format. Right. And, and that worked great. And if you don't have time to, if you got multiple patients or you don't have time to, uh, to uh, give a thorough handoff report, you can always take that piece of tape and stick it to the patient's clothing or stick it to the patient themselves, and they've got pretty much the bullet right there written down for them if you were uh, got called away and wasn't able to flesh out your report in the manner you wanted to. Right. And, and, you know, and I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, my advice to the folks that are out there as well is this is a skill like any other skill. And when you yeah. go through and you test through National Registry or, or go through your state to test, you, you've got to do things step by step. You know, you, you've got to be able to, you know, get your IV stuff ready. You've got to be able to put the tourniquet on. You've got to be able to look for a vein. You've got to be able, and, and then in step, well, well, your radio report is no different. So come up yeah. with a come up with a template that you're going to do the same way every single time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may take you a, a good six months of radio reports. And, and the other thing is, you know, when you're in a high-performance EMS system of running, you know, 12 calls in a 12-hour period, uh, you're going to have more radio reports than you know. Some mm -hmm. practice it, practice it like any other skill. And Kelly, I, yep. I think we got a clinical issue here. Yes, I do. I think we got an excellent one. And, and the the final piece of advice I'd give to new medics and EMTs is that history never repeats itself. One of the most infuriating things to me as a as a new medic was giving a thorough patient report and then having the doctor and nurse nod and then ask the patient the exact questions that I just gave them the answers to. Um, but I learned that sometimes when they ask those questions again, the answers change. Uh, so history never repeats itself, and sometimes the, the change is, is relevant. So don't don't get bent out of shape over it. Uh, that's just the way it's done, and, and the reason they ask those is because sometimes the answers do change, and they need to know. Well, yeah, I think we got a, a good clinical issue, Chris, and uh, – but we don't want to just hear our opinions on it in our own little echo chamber. We'd like to hear what you think. What do you think are the elements of a good uh, pre-arrival notification and a good patient handoff report? Let us know in the comments. and Give us your concerns, comments, and questions. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Cedillero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. And we'll catch you guys next week.